Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. We've been doing a series out of John's Gospel called Give Me a Sign, where we have been looking specifically at the eight recorded miracles uh, that Jesus performed in John's Gospel because he calls them miraculous signs. Now, the whole point of a sign is that it actually points to something. So when you read the miracles of Jesus, it's not just something to, to be wowed about and to go, oh, well, that was uh, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, but it is, it, it is an indicator. It is something, a lesson to be learned, a principle to be drawn that we can apply even in our lives today. So we've been looking at these eight particular uh, miracles recorded in John's Gospel. And I've got to be honest, when we get to this one today... Uh, Of all of the miracles of Jesus, this is the one that I would most liken to a party trick. Uh, Because it's like, well, what's the point of that? And it's the the story of Jesus walking on the water. Uh, But again, we've got to remind ourselves that there is a purpose to this. It's not a party trick, but this is a miraculous sign. There is something here that we need to dig into and draw out of it a principle that applies to us today. So there's a lesson behind every miracle. John 6 and 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him in the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. And those few verses are really all John tells us about this particular miracle. But there's a bit of added information in the other gospel accounts of this same miracle that I'll be referring to as we go along. But to help us dig into this this morning and for help, to help us draw a lesson, a personal lesson and an application out of this this morning, I want to view this miracle from the disciples' perspective. So I want to talk about a few things. First of all, I want to talk about where they were. Secondly, I want to talk about why they were where they were, why they were there. Then I want to talk about what they saw. And then I want to talk about how they responded to what they saw. So let's first of all talk about where they were. Well, as the story tells us quite clearly, they were in a boat in a storm. That's where they were. It was in the middle of the night. Verse 17 tells us, by now it was dark. Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Now you've got to understand there's going to be a whole bunch of factors combining together. This is the end of a really, really long day. And at the end of a really long day, Jesus puts his disciples into a boat to cross the lake to go to Capernaum. Capernaum is home, so essentially Jesus is sending them home. Uh, It was dark, it was late, they were alone in that Jesus wasn't with them. It was the end of a long day and we had looked at this last time, it was the last miracle recorded in John's Gospel, which is the feeding of the 5,000 people. So it's it's a pretty epic day. And so at the end of this epic day, here they are, Uh, In this boat, there is this strong wind blowing and the waters were rough. 
Now, we've got to assume that this was a pretty serious storm because a lot of the guys in the boat are experienced, seasoned fishermen. And the Sea of Galilee, this lake, was actually very, very familiar territory for them. So for them to be terrified indicates this is a, a pretty severe squall. Now, I've stood on the, uh, the shore of Lake Galilee. I've stood in Capernaum and looked across, and it was just picture-perfect glass. So it's even hard for me to imagine the kind of storm where seasoned fishermen would be feeling threatened. But anyway, that's the way it was, a pretty serious storm. So that's where they were. But the second question is, why were they there? And this is a really important issue. Why were they there? So let's cross-reference to Matthew's account of this same miracle. Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, as I was preparing my message, this was my aha moment. In my uh, study Bible on my computer, I did a word search for storm or storms and waves. And it is absolutely amazing the number of references throughout the Bible to storms and waves. Now, this is a bit of an aside, but I think this is an important principle for us to understand. Uh, There are things we need to understand about Jesus and storms or God and storms. Because the answer to why they were there in the midst of a storm, we actually don't really like. The disciples found themselves terrified in a boat in the middle of a storm because Jesus had put them there. And you've gone really, really quiet. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And here's what we discover from the Bible that I trust would help us make sense of the storms that we sometimes have to face in life. I want to first of all suggest that God permits storms. He doesn't necessarily instigate them, but he does permit them. Matthew 5 and 45, Jesus said this, and the context is the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Friends, if you're a Christian here this morning, you need to know that simply being a Christian does not mean that you have a free pass to escape the troubles of life. Friends, life is full of problems, whether you are a Christian or not. Can we keep it real this morning? Christians sometimes get sick. Christians sometimes have accidents. Christians sometimes lose their jobs. And here's a sobering statistic. The death rate of Christians compared to non-Christians is exactly the same. I believe it's close to 100%. (laughs) Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived, picks this up in his writing in Ecclesiastes 9 and 2. He says, all share a common destiny. 
the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner, verse 11, time and chance happen to them all. Listen, we don't like that verse. We don't stick that one on our fridge. Guys, like it or not, time and chance happen to us all. Sometimes stuff just happens. And the reality is sometimes God protects us from storms and sometimes God permits storms. And there's purpose in them both. We know even the disciples experience. There's another occasion where they're in a storm on the sea. This time Jesus is with them. They're still terrified, and part of the reason they're terrified is because in the midst of the threat of this great storm, Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat. And so in their panic, they wake him up, and Jesus immediately calms the storm. There is no question, friends, that God in his will at times just shows up wonderfully at our point of need, and he will calm the storm just like that. But friends... We don't like the fact that sometimes God permits storms. And I think my next point is even a little bit of a harder pill to swallow. Sometimes God does instigate storms as well. Please don't start throwing stuff. There are some storms that are God's idea. I think it's quite possible in this story today that Jesus might have been aware of the weather forecast. He knew exactly what these disciples were about to get into. And maybe there is something in the wisdom of Jesus where he was providing a test for the disciples because we actually discovered that of the last miracle, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Again, in Matthew's account, uh, Matthew 6 and 5, Uh, Going back to that miracle, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So it may have been that this storm was going to be a very similar kind of test. And it's because he knew what they were about to get into. It was because of the storm that he actually sent them into the storm, hopefully that they might learn a principle. Because, friends, sometimes for us, in the midst of the storms that we face, it is only when we are stripped of all of those resources that make us feel safe and secure, that life is in control, that we are in control. It's only in that place where those things are taken from us that we can find ourselves actually in the most teachable moments of our life as far as what God wants to do. We learn in that place our greatest lessons. And sometimes God prepares the storm and actually sends us in to the storm. We look at Job in the Old Testament, talk about storms, and I pray none of us have to go through what Job went through. But he was a righteous man, an upright man, And he was stripped of everything as God allowed him to come under this incredible satanic attack. And Satan had a field day with him, but God said, you can't touch his life. You must spare his life. But he lost everything else. He lost his livelihood. He lost his wealth. He lost his reputation. He lost his children. Uh, He had friends who came and just heaped condemnation on him. He went into the depth of despair 
Uh, he lost his health. He went into depression to the point where he was suicidal. And in the midst of all of these things, in the midst of this incredible pressure, in the midst of the greatest storm of his life, he still had faith to say some incredibly profound things. Job 30 and 22, you snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. He's saying to God, God, I'm in a storm right now, but I think you've put me here. God, you are doing something through this. And then I absolutely love this when you fast forward to Job 40 and 6. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. You've got to get a hold of this. The storm was not for Job something that he needed to get in his prayer closet and just prayed away because he recognized this was a huge satanic attack. The storm was something that God had purpose and meaning in. And friends, I want to encourage you this morning. If you're in the midst of a storm in your life, it's actually okay. If you're in the midst of a storm, it's okay. Job had three of his closest friends just come and heap condemnation on him because they couldn't understand why a righteous man was experiencing storms. And sometimes we come under the same condemnation. Some people have some pretty whacked theology that says, if you're a Christian and you're going through hard stuff, it's because you've done something wrong. Can I free you from that condemnation this morning? Don't allow that condemnation to be heaped upon you. The devil loves it when you sit under that condemnation. You've got a God who loves you, but you've got a God who is very purposeful in what he does. And he knows, because he is a God full of greatest wisdom, he knows that sometimes the best thing he can permit in our lives are those difficulties that actually cause us to run to him. And that's our point of greatest growth. Can I hear an amen this morning? Here the disciples find themselves in the midst of a storm. And friends, this is where it really starts to get good. So I've given you the bad news. Here's the good news. So back to our story. Question one, where were they? They were in a storm. Question two, why were they there? Well, because Jesus sent them there. Question number three, what did they see? And this is where it starts to get really, really good. And for me, this was my aha moment. When they rode from John 16 and 19, when they had rode three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. I want you to get a hold of the picture this morning. And if this is the only thing you take home, take home this picture. This great storm, Jesus walking on the water. We need to see in our heart, in our mind, what the disciples saw. He said, it is I, don't be afraid. Because what they saw was this. That the very thing that threatened them, the very thing that threatened to actually be over their heads was underneath his feet. This is a beautiful picture. The reason why they were afraid is because this storm was so strong, these waves were so powerful that it threatened to sink the boat and send them all to the bottom. That was the cause of their fear. And the very thing that threatened to be over their heads 
was underneath the feet of Jesus. So he says, don't be afraid. And I love this because I believe it makes sense of a miracle that on first read seems a bit like a party trick. This sight of Jesus walking on the water is both a fulfillment of Scripture and a prophetic picture of what is to come through Jesus' death and resurrection. Because we have this recurring theme right through Scripture. And this is where it was such an aha moment for me. Get a hold of this, Ephesians 1 and 22. And God placed all things under His feet. And this is the recurring theme. Remember what Job said, Job 30 and 22. You snatch me up, drive me before the wind, you toss me about in the storm. But then in chapter 9 and verse 8, listen. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. What a powerful picture. Job talks about the fact that this storm is raging all around him. You've tossed me about in your storm. But then he says, but you walk on the waves of that same sea. You toss me about in the storm, the storm that threatens to be over my head. But what I do know, says Job, is this. The storm is under your feet And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. He says, For he must reign until he has put all all, uh, his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Can I hear an amen this morning? Which means this, friends, that anything that threatens you, anything that threatens to be over your head this morning, friends, is under his feet. Anything which threatens to defeat you uh, has already been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Everything is under his feet. And friends, this message is either religious nonsense this morning that we talk about in church on a Sunday and we wake up on a Monday and it makes no difference to us. Or it can be a powerful truth that will totally liberate you. And I pray that it can be a truth that liberates us. So my final point this morning is this. What did they do in response to what they saw? We know where they were. They were in a storm. We know why they were there. Jesus sent them there. We know that what they saw was that everything that threatened them and everything that caused them to be afraid was under Jesus' feet. But what did they do in response? Well, again, Matthew's account gives us added information that's not included in John's account. And in Matthew's account, it's not just about how Jesus walked on the water, but he also gives us that occasion uh, where Peter walked on the water. I find this fascinating. Uh, Matthew 14, 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I'm pretty certain that when Jesus instructed them to take courage, this is not the response that he would have expected or anticipated, particularly from Peter, who was probably historically not really been seen to be the most courageous of the disciples. But let me tell you, there's a great lesson in faith as we see Peter act very much out of character here. Maybe Peter makes this observation. Maybe Peter has seen it, that the very thing that threatens him is under his feet. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand 
and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? So here's the picture. Peter got down out of the boat to do what was an impossible thing to do in the natural. But at that moment, his focus and his attention was purely upon Jesus. Jesus had his exclusive attention. He's getting down out of the boat just looking at Jesus. Peter's probably thinking, I I can't do this, but as I look to Jesus, he gives me the confidence that I can. And Jesus beckons and says, come. So Peter's learning something here, that if you do as Jesus says, he will look after the rest. So he stretches out walking on the water, trusting Jesus. Trusting that it's Jesus that's going to make this possible. Trusting that it's Jesus that's going to sustain him. But then it says, when he shifted his focus back to the wind and the waves, he began to sink. Peter took his attention, that singular focus, away from Jesus and turned back to the problem. And that's when he began to sink. Friends, can I suggest the same thing happens to us in the middle of the storms of life? That when we stop looking to Jesus, the storm once more begins to overwhelm us. But when Peter viewed the storm through Jesus' eyes, when he gave Jesus that singular focus, singular perspective, the storm became irrelevant and he discovered what's under Jesus' feet is now under my feet. But again, when he looked at the problem, he saw the wind, he saw the storm. When he related it to himself, again, it becomes an utterly impossible situation. He begins to sink again. He begins to get afraid again. And he cries out, Lord, save me. What did Jesus say? It sounds a bit harsh. You of little faith, why did you doubt? But the lesson there is, Peter, you stop trusting me. That's your problem. You stop trusting me. And he says, you of little faith. It's like, Peter, the, the, the issue here has nothing to do with your ability. It has to do with your confidence in me, your faith in me. Your problem is not the storm. Your problem is you stopped trusting me. And friends, right here we have the fundamental principle of Christian living. It doesn't matter what the situation is for you. It doesn't matter what the storm is. This principle applies to every situation in life that you will ever face. And the principle is this, that no matter what you're facing, no matter how rough the storm, no matter how impossible the situation, Jesus is all you need in the midst of that. Can I hear an amen? But Jesus might say the same to us. Why did you doubt? Why did you stop trusting me? And then when they climbed in the boat together, Mark actually records an interesting detail that the other records, the other records in Matthew and John don't mention. Mark 6 and 51. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. They were completely amazed. Listen to this. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. We've got to unpack that. 
He climbs into the boat, the storm calms down, and they were completely amazed. But it's interesting that he actually mentions or he makes reference to the loaves, which is the miracle that they've just come from, the feeding of the 5,000 people. Here's where they got it wrong. The disciples observed the practice of Jesus, but failed to realize it's a principle, not a practice. Let me help you understand what I mean by that. Yesterday, they learned the practice of Jesus in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They, they saw Jesus miraculously feed 5,000 people and they thought that's the practice of Jesus. And this is the difference between a practice and a principle. A practice is only useful the next time he has to feed 5,000 hungry people. So the next time we're up against a big crowd of hungry people, we know what Jesus' practice is. He will do that again. But the Jesus did not want to, and listen, the, the, the miracles are not about us learning practices. The miracles are about us learning principles. The principle that Jesus would love them to have got a hold of, which Mark records saying they didn't really understand, their hearts were hardened. The principle is this, whether it's 5,000 hungry people or being tossed around in a boat on a storm, it's Jesus who is in charge. And the Bible says they had not understood about the loaves. You had learned about feeding a crowd, but you'd not learned about the principle that now out in the storm, while you were panicking, you've got to have the same faith and take that principle of provision and recognize God can provide for you in a boat in a storm as much as he can 5,000 hungry people who needed a feed. And as we looked at last time, there's that position of saying, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. This is bigger than me. It's not bigger than you. I thank you, Jesus. This scares me, but it doesn't scare you. I thank you, God, and I can trust you in this situation because you're bigger than it. And Peter, back in that boat, stepping out onto those waves, got this principle for a second. God, I trust you right now. He had it for a few moments, and then he began to sink. Now, the Bible didn't say, sorry, the Bible says, that they didn't understand because their hearts were hardened. What does that mean? Because it sounds a bit harsh. Well, it means that they were hearing and observing, but not applying. That's really what it is to have a hardened heart, that your heart is hardened against whatever it is that's coming in. Which means it's possible for us to sit in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, hear about this stuff, Applaud about this stuff, amen about this stuff, but then go home and not allow it to sink in. And we have no idea how to bring these principles, because they're not practices, they're principles, how to draw these principles into a difficult situation at work, or how to draw these principles into family life, or to how to bring these principles into the struggles and the, and the trials and the storms that you might face. Now, Peter often gets, uh, the disciple Peter often gets um, criticized and held up as an example of what not to do. But in this instance, Peter was actually willing to step out of the boat. The rest of the disciples stayed in the boat. 
There's no question that being in the boat was obviously the safest place to be. We all like the safety of the boat. But I wonder how many of us would be willing to say, Lord, you know what? I'm ready to trust you. I'm ready to step out of the boat into the uncertainty of the storm and join you. It's what Peter said and it's what Peter did. Here's the great thing. Peter wrote his first letter to a church that was suffering. Peter wrote his first letter to a church that was going through a lot of pressures and a lot of storms. People who were being tossed around by horrendous pressures. And Peter, in his letter, in this first letter, can write sincere words of encouragement and inspire faith about what it is to know Christ in the middle of storms because he'd learned it himself. And he passes on first-hand information, first-hand encouragement. And he learned you can trust Jesus. So as we close this morning, I'll invite the team back up. Is, is your heart soft towards God? Are you prepared to say to God, Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing, whatever my world looks like, if that's tomorrow back at work, or I'm willing back at home, or I'm willing in the crises that we face, in the storms that I find myself in the midst of, to say, Jesus, in this situation, I have the faith to look at you and to say with confidence, this is under your feet. This is under your feet. Friends, if we can find that confidence, I, I tell you what, what that does in the midst of pressure, what that does in the midst of a storm to say, Jesus, you've got this and I trust you. I'm looking at you. Get your eyes off the storm and get your eyes on Jesus because, friends, it's under His feet. And if we can trust that it's under His feet, we can say, Jesus, now it's going to be under my feet too as I trust you and as I step out in the midst of that storm. As we pray together this morning, I just really encourage you to examine your heart, look at the situations in your life and say, is there stuff that I've got to trust Jesus with a little bit more? Is there an area where I've, I've really got to step out of the boat? There is safety and security in the boat, but until I step out onto those stormy waters, they're never, ever going to be under my feet. They will always threaten to overwhelm me. And maybe there's some stuff that we've just got to invite Jesus back into and say, Jesus, I need to know this is under your feet so that it doesn't overwhelm me, so that it doesn't crush me, so that it doesn't cause me to be fearful. If we can get a hold of this, let me tell you, it is so liberating. No matter what you're facing, no matter what there is in your life, to know that I can still have confidence. I can still have joy in the midst of this because Jesus conquered even death. Can I hear an amen this morning?